Section 25 of the Underground Railroad, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Dore. The Underground Railroad, Part 5, by William Still. Section 25. Portraits and Sketches. Samuel Rhodes. Was born in Philadelphia in 1806 and was through life a consistent member of the Society of Friends. His parents were persons of great respectability and integrity. The son early showed an ardent desire for improvement and was distinguished among his young companions for warm affections, amiable disposition, and genial manners, rare purity and refinement of feeling, and a taste for literary pursuits, preferring as his associates those to whom he looked for instruction and example, and aiming at a high standard he won a position both mentally and socially superior to his early surroundings. With a keen sense of justice and humanity, he could not fail to share in the traditional opposition of his religious society to slavery, and to be quickened to more intense feeling as the evils of the system were more fully revealed in the anti-slavery agitation, which in his early manhood began to stir the nation. A visit to England in 1834 brought him into connection and friendship with many leading friends in that country who were actively engaged in the anti-slavery movement and probably had much to do with directing his attention specially to the subject. Once enlisted, he never wavered, but as long as slavery existed by law in our country, his influence both publicly and privately was exerted against it. He was strengthened in his course by a warm friendship and frequent intercourse with the late Abraham L. Pennock a man whose unbending integrity and firm allegiance to duty were equaled only by his active benevolence, broad charity, and rare clearness of judgment. Samuel Rhodes, like him, while sympathizing with other phases of the anti-slavery movement, took a special interest in the subject of abstaining from the use of articles produced by slave labor, believing that the purchase of such articles, by furnishing to the master the only possibility of pecuniary profit from the labor of his slaves, supplied one motive for holding them in bondage and the purchaser thus became, however unwittingly, a partaker in the guilt. He felt conscientiously bound to withhold his individual support as far as practicable and to recommend the same course to others. His practical action upon these views began about the year 1841 and was preserved in and at no small expense and inconvenience till slavery ceased in this country to have a legal existence. About this time he united with the American Free Produce Association, which had been formed in 1838, and in 1845 took an active part in the formation of the Free Produce Association of Friends of Philadelphia, YM, both associations having the object of promoting the production by free labor of articles usually grown by slaves, particularly of cotton. Agents were sent into the cotton states to make arrangements with small planters who were growing cotton by the labor of themselves and their families without the help of slaves, to obtain their crops, which otherwise went into the general market and could not be distinguished. A manufactory was established for working this cotton, and a limited variety of goods were thus furnished. In all these operations, Samuel Rhodes aided efficiently by counsel and money. In 1846, the non-slaveholder, a monthly periodical devoted mainly to the advocacy of the free produce cause, was established in Philadelphia, edited by A. L. Pennock, S. Rhodes, and George W. Taylor. It was continued five years for the last two of which Samuel Rhodes conducted it alone. He wrote also a pamphlet on the free labor question. From July 1856 to January 1867, he was editor of the Friends Review, a weekly paper, religious and literary, conducted in the interest of his own religious society, and in this position he gave frequent proofs of interest in the slaves. Q. 
keeping his readers well advised of events and movements bearing upon the subject. While thus awake to all forms of anti-slavery effort, his heart and hand were ever open to the fugitive from bondage who appealed to him, and none such were ever sent away empty. Though not a member of the Vigilance Committee, he rendered it frequent and most efficient aid, especially during the dark ten years after the passage of the Fugitive Slave Law. A second visit to England in 1847 had enlarged his connection and correspondence with anti-slavery friends there, and in addition to his own contributions, very considerable sums of money were transmitted to him, especially through A. H. Richardson, for the benefit of the fugitives. Often when the treasury of the committee ran low, he came opportunely to their relief, with funds sent by his English friends, while his sympathy and encouragement never failed. The extent of his assistance in this direction was known to but few, but by them its value was gratefully acknowledged. None rejoiced more than he in the overthrow of American slavery, though its end came in convulsion and bloodshed at which his spirit revolted, not by the peaceful means through which he, with others, had labored to bring it about. He had, some years before, been active in preparing a memorial to Congress, asking that body to make an effort to put an end to slavery in the States by offering from the National Treasury to any state or states which would emancipate the slaves therein, and engage not to renew the system, compensation for losses thus sustained. This proposition was made not as admitting any right of the masters to compensation, but on the ground that the whole nation, having shared in the guilt of maintaining slavery, might justly share also in whatever pecuniary loss might follow its abandonment. This memorial was sent to Congress, but elicited no response, and in the fullness of time, the nation paid even in money many times any possible price that could have been demanded under this plan. Samuel Rhodes died in 1868. End of section 25